many people believe that plan is good? How many people believe that sometimes, though, there's an opposition force that's out there trying to stop the plan that God has for our life? How many people believe that regardless of what that opposing force thinks or wants to do, that we can be victorious? I don't know if that was loud enough. How many people believe we can be victorious? I'm not messing around anymore. I'm going to live and walk in victory. It's not only my choice, it is a right given to me. I believe it that way. I believe it's a right. So I want to tell you something today about a story that many of you may know when Jesus healed a paralyzed man. There's some things about it that I want to unpack during the course of these next few minutes, but it's going to start with Mark. It's recorded in the Gospels, but the, 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 uh, the, uh, the uh, account in Mark is the one I'm going to be looking at today. It's Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. So if you have your Bibles with you, feel free to turn to the book of Mark chapter 2. If you have your devices with you, an iPad, a phone, anything that contains the Word of God that is acceptable, that is okay, take a look at that too. Or you can look up here on the screen. We've got all kinds of ways you can consume the Word of God in today's day and age. Amen? This is one way. Let's look at this. So we're going to read this starting in verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days of speaking about Jesus now, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they became, and they came bringing him a paralyzed man, carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralyzed man lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, say that with me, saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Now that means they weren't saying it out loud. They were questioning it in their hearts. And this is what they said. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Now think about that for a minute. If you were in there complaining, criticism, backstabbing, calling him a blasphemer, if you were doing that and you're just thinking that to yourself and Jesus turned and said, hey, why are you doing that? Wouldn't that give you a cause to think there's something special going on with this guy? They thought a bunch of different things that could be from anywhere. But that's what he did. He, 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 he challenged them. He didn't let it just slide. Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up, take your bed, and walk? That was a question to them. What's easier? So then Jesus says, <laughs> But that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sin. He said to the paralyzed man, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And guess what the paralyzed man did? He got up, he picked up his bed, and he went out. 
so that they were and all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Wow! And I could read that story all day long. There's so much stuff. So here, simply put, this story is a story about a paralyzed man who needed an encounter with Jesus. How many people have been in that place where we need an encounter with him? Jesus was invited to a house to teach to a group of people. And as was customary at this point in his ministry, there were many people that when he was around, they came to hear what he said. When they did, they would gather in these groups, in this case, a house. There were so many people, the scripture said, that they couldn't get into the house. They were crowded around the door trying to get in. Jesus was popular at this point, right? He had a following. He had, he, had a, he had a group that wanted to hear what he had to say. And so I was wondering, like, is it possible that this paralyzed man, who's not named in the Scriptures, but he, maybe he was a person that heard Jesus was coming, heard about what he had done in previous times, and he wanted to get to where Jesus was because he wanted to be healed. Makes sense. Or maybe this is the crowd of the people. Maybe his four friends, I think we got a picture of this, his four friends that were bringing him to the uh, to the uh, to the house. Maybe these guys were were uh, hearing that Jesus was there, and, and and they went to their friend and said, "Man, we need to get you down here because Jesus can heal you." Maybe that's what happened. But regardless of what happened, however they got there, when they got there, there was no room. They couldn't get in. It was so full, even the doorway was filled with people trying to get a glimpse of Jesus. And I sometimes think, what would I do in that situation? But I try to force my way through the crowd. I don't think I'd get too far if I did that. I think if I did, I'd be pushing my way through saying, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And somebody said, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> Look, you got here late. I got here on time. I want to see what Jesus has to say to you. I don't think the people would budge. I don't think there'd be much you could do. They're there for the same reason this guy is. Because they want their own encounter with Jesus. That's what they're there for. So that probably wouldn't work. So then what would you do if you were the four guys that, that brought their friend and they got him all the way there and they can't get in? Would you give up? Would you go home? Would you hope that you'd have another opportunity someday? Well, in this case, these guys didn't do that. And let me tell you why I think it was, one of the reasons why I think it was. I think it was because they had a desperate need, a desperate situation to see their friend healed. They were desperate. They were not going to be turned away. They did not let a dead-end sign on a road that they were trying to travel stop where they were going to go. Now, I will tell you this, and I've been in this place before. Sometimes desperation makes you think out of the box. The way that you normally did stuff, when you get in a desperate state, you start thinking about other ways to do things. You start developing a, a plan B or maybe even a plan C. And so here's what it is. I picture this now. Then This is not from the scripture. This is what I call the, the, the Billy translation here. I'm speculating, but I see four guys, and they get up at this point. They carry this man all the way, and they can't get in. And so then what's going to happen? What are we going to do? So now they've got to start figuring out what's the plan B? What are we going to do? What's next? 
so I can hear one of them say, hey, I got an idea. Let's do this. Let's climb on the top of that house. Now, back then, remember, roofs and houses and construction, I wouldn't say that it is now. Not quite as solid to be up there walking around on a roof as it would be today. Not that it's all that safe today sometimes. But So the guy said, here's my idea. We're going to climb up on this roof. We're going to bring this guy in some apparatus that we're going to rig up, and four of us are going to be up there with the weight of four men and another guy, and we're going to tear the roof off and move it aside. We're going to tear the roof up so we can lower him down into the house. That's my idea. And I think the other guys were looking at him like, are you serious right now? You want us to climb up there with all of our weight on that roof tear a hole in a house that we don't own and drop this man down. That's what the plan is. And the guy said, yeah, that's what the plan is. <laughs> like, you're crazy. I'm not doing that. But at some point, let me tell you what happens. When you get into these situations and you start thinking about that, sometimes what others say may be crazy. Sometimes what others say may be foolishness is exactly what you need to do to get to the place God wants you to be. And if you don't believe that, you just say, I'm not, I don't have a slide for this. Go look at 2 Corinthians 5.13. There's other places you can look at it. Let me tell you, sometimes doing something crazy, if it means that that's what you got to do to get to God, that's what you need to be. That's what these guys did. So they said, yep, that's what we're doing. <laughs> so they did. They got I think about if you were the owner of a house. You're the, you're the owner of this house. I say, man, look, guess what? I, I got this house, and Jesus is speaking at my house. What an honor. I am so glad. Thank you for being here today. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, Jesus is speaking. He's, he's preaching today. Come right on in. Make yourself at home. Welcome to my home. Wait a minute. Who's tearing my roof up? Somebody's up there tearing this guy's roof up. I can just see him again. I do this. I visual, try to visualize these stories. I look up and I see a roof being peeled apart. And I see these four guys' faces. If you were looking up, think if you were looking up, you saw your roof pulling apart. And four guys' heads looked over like this. <laughs> They're like, how are you doing? Excuse us while we drop this guy down. I mean, think about it. That was nuts. We've read this so many times, but think about how just outside of the norm it was, but look, whatever it was, thinking outside of the box, plan B, plan C, whatever it was, they had one goal in mind. One goal in mind, one outcome, one objective, and that was to get to Jesus. To get to Jesus. That was all that they wanted to do. Maybe the only chance they had. So they were going to do it, no matter what it took. Whatever it takes, that's what we're going to do to get to him. So they tore a hole in the roof, lowered him down. Jesus is seeing this, and, and instead, you know, when Jesus is saying, hey, you know, I don't know if you realize this, but I'm in the middle of my sermon right now. <laughs> you guys are distracting me, tearing this roof up, dropping this man down. Why are you bothering? Don't you know all these people can't hear me? No, that's not what he said. You know, he said, the first thing Jesus saw, the way he saw this whole situation was he saw faith. He saw faith. He didn't see distractions. He didn't see problems. He looked up and saw that, and he saw faith. That's the scripture says. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. He saw faith. 
He recognized this man as much more of a need than healing in his body. He recognized the need that he needed forgiveness and healing of his soul. The first thing Jesus thought about is, my, hey, look at the faith of these guys. Your sins are forgiven. See, Jesus is not just a healer and a miracle worker. He is that. He's a redeemer. Jesus is a redeemer. He's a rescuer. That's his first and foremost priority. He was a savior even at that moment in time. He knew and he stated and he made it clear at that point that he had the authority to forgive sin. That's what he said. Who are you to question me? I have the authority to do this. So you see, Jesus wanted this man to be totally restored. First and foremost, in his soul, being forgiven, so it was most important, and then in his body. See, this man, this unnamed person, he arrived with his friends at this house, apparently according to how Jesus saw it, full of faith. He came full of faith. He came full of faith, but with a disability. But he left totally healed and restored. He arrived with faith and sin in his life, but he left forgiven. He arrived with faith, feeling maybe defeated, seeing the crowd can't get in, but he left victorious. He came with faith and all kinds of questions about why has this happened to me and what's going on and what are the why the, why is this crowd here and everything else, but he left with the answers that Jesus spoke into his life. He arrived with faith, though, that's the main thing. He's not the first one that did this. He's not the first one that did this. This is there's there's, there's many times you can look at this. I'll tell you a couple. One was blind Bartimaeus. I preached a sermon about that one time here. Another is about a woman with the, with the issue of blood, had some type of a blood disorder, spent her whole life savings now on physicians and treatments and everything that she could do. She spent all of her money, and it didn't only not get better. The scripture says it got worse. So here she is. Now what? Well, I've heard Jesus is coming through. <laughs> he can heal me. I'm going to believe it. Oh, but look at this crowd. There's a crowd surrounding him. Jesus is walking down the road now, and there's a crowd just gathered around him. I could just see him milling about in noise and activity and all these people following Jesus. He's just walking. And here she is. How in the world am I going to get to him? How am I going to get there? There's a roadblock put up. There's an obstacle there. I arrived here thinking I had a plan, but I don't. What am I going to do? And so what she just said is if I could just touch the hem of his garment. And back then, you know, they wore robes. I'm assuming the hem of the garment that Jesus was wearing was pretty low down on his leg. Which means that she's probably, she's out there. And there's many illustrations of this where she's crawling through the crowd. She couldn't probably weaken her weakened state, fight her way through the crowd. But she crawled through there just to grab it. And she just got a touch of the hem of his garment. And at the time the scripture says that that happened, she was immediately healed by the power of God. At that moment. And here's the other thing that happened. Jesus stopped. He stopped. He said, who touched me? 
Pharaoh who touched through all the commotion and everything had settled down, he turned around and he saw the woman. What did he say to her? What did he say to her? Thank goodness you touched the hem of my garment. Now you're healed. Thank God you got a chance to, to, to be in my presence because now you're healed. No, he said this. Your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. Your faith, your faith, your faith is what has made you well. Not that he couldn't do it. Jesus, and he did, it's recorded, speak healing in places that were miles away from where he was. He didn't have to be there. He could do anything he wants. But the fact of the matter, the message was what he wanted her to know, what he wanted us to know, what he wants you to know today, is it is your faith. It is the man and the four guys that ripped off the roof and dropped him down. It's your faith. It's your faith. So do you have a blocked door? Something crowding you out of where you want to get with God today? Do you have obstacles that are in your path that are, are preventing you from, from the answer that you're seeking from God? Is that maybe where you may be today? Do you have a dead end sign on the road you're traveling? See, when people see a dead end sign, usually what do you do? You turn around and you go back the other way. Let me tell you today, when the enemy puts a dead end sign in your path, you take the detour. And the detour is faith. You walk in that, you live in that, and you move around it, and you keep going towards where God wants you to be. He'll lead you. He's going to put dead end signs up, and he's going to put landmines out there on your faith journey. Here to tell you. And he's going to put up a, okay, so picture, we're in a walk, we're in a, we're traveling a road to that plan I talked about, believing God has a plan, it's a good plan, he wants us to prosper. As we walk down that road, the enemy wants to put, instead of us staying on that road, he wants to give us an exit ramp to get off at. Here's what it is. We can go God's way, or we can go my way. <laughs> Or you can go God's way, or you can go the way the enemy's trying to push you and convince you. No, Lord, because he wants to distract you. He wants to get you off of that road. Because as soon as he can do that, he will, he will in your mind thwart what God has purposed for you. Don't let him do it. Don't let him do it. It is, I'm going to tell you today, it is an absolute desire of the enemy. Absolute desire of the enemy, Satan, the devil, yeah, I'm saying it because he's real. And that's okay. Because God's real too. But let me tell you. Listen. There's no greater pleasure that the enemy can have than to keep you down. Keep you down. Keep you under his thumb. Under his foot to keep you down. That's his desire. That brings him and all his minions pleasure. He wants to keep you in a state of affairs in your life that are not what God wants for you. The enemy wants you to live in a perpetual state of depression. The enemy wants to have you live in a constant and ongoing state of addiction. To whatever it is that it might be that 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 keeps you 
separated or keeps you from being in the fullness of God's plan. He wants you to live in unforgiveness. The enemy wants you to be always in unforgiveness. He wants you to be in a state of perpetual offense. He wants you to be offended every time you come to church. How many people have been offended when they come to church? Come on now. I'm turning my back so I don't have to see. He wants you to be offended. That's not of God. That's of the enemy. He wants you to live that way because that's the exit ramp off of the road down the path that God wants you to go. He wants you to live like that. He wants you to live in debt. He wants you to be unhealthy in your body. He wants you to be at the bottom rung of the ladder of God's plan. That's what he wants for you, and he will do anything within his power. He has power, but he'll do whatever he can do. How does he do that? One way I've always described it to people is, have you ever heard of the phrase? See, the, the scripture says that the, the, the enemy comes to steal, kill, destroy. But guess what? Between those words, there's the word and. It's to steal, wants to steal from you. And he wants to kill you. And he wants to destroy you. And, and, and. It's not one or the other. That's not good enough. He wants to do it. This is the word I use. The enemy wants to come against you, your family, and anybody that is a believer and anybody else. But people I'm talking about are believers. He wants to come against you, and he wants to attack you, and he wants you to die by a thousand cuts. You ever heard that term? He wants death by a thousand cuts. Not good enough just to kill you. He wants to make you miserable. He wants to wreck your life. I'm just telling you what it is because I know, because I've experienced it and I've encountered it. And guess what? I'm victorious over it. By the power of God! Not the power of man! Or the power of God working in me! So, what, how does he do this? How does he, how does he block these doors? How does he do this? What he does is, one thing he knows is he knows this too. He has power, I said. But he knows this. If you can get through to Jesus, you will be victorious. If you can get through to him. Like the four men brought the man down. Like the woman with the issue of blood. Like others. When you get through to him, he can't stand against that. He wants to block your blessings and rob your joy. He wants to throw fiery darts at you and try to bring you down. Scripture says this, Ephesians 6, 16. Preached about this before, the full armor of God. Put it on, use it. There's the shield of faith. It says in the Scripture that you can quench the fiery darts of the enemy with the shield of faith. You can do that. It's available to you. But he's going to throw them at you. Make no mistake. Those fiery darts are going to come your way. How How do they come your way? Temptation. Now, how many people have experienced temptation in their life? How many people have experienced temptation this morning? Everybody says, well, I'm not going to admit that. Hey, we're all in this together, brother. Don't worry about it. It's all right. You know why? Because, look, when temptation arrives in your life, choices also arrive. People say, why did God give us free will and choices? Well, that's one good reason why. When temptation arrives in our life, at the same time, choices arrive. 
There's never a time when temptation arrives that a choice doesn't arrive at the same time. Okay? Now, if you look at that, you think, well, yeah, okay, I got a choice to make. You do. When temptation comes, you got a choice. There's never a time you don't have a choice. Never a time you don't have a choice. I want to be very clear. Let me tell you why. And this is a verse I would encourage you to remember anything I said today. Remember this. This verse I'm about to read you. Memorize this. Put this in your spirit. Internalize this. Make this a part of your life. This is one of the greatest promises that you can stand on as a believer. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The temptations in your life are no different than what others experience. Some translations say that is common to man. That means normal. That is just, it's the way it is. Nothing any different than what others experience. And God is faithful. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. Now, if God doesn't allow it, guess what? It's not going to happen. He won't allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. That's different. I believe this. That's different for different people. Everyone's different. But he knows, and he's not going to allow it to be more than you can stand. It's not going to be something that other people don't experience. It's common demand, the Word of God says. Then it says this. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out that you can endure. If anybody can't say amen to that, I don't know what's going on. Not to what I'm saying, to what he's saying. He's not going to tempt you beyond what you can handle, and he is faithful, and he will give you a way out. Hallelujah! You need to put that in your set of things that you think about every day as a believer. Because it is a promise, and it is true. How do you find the way out? How do you find a way out then? It's giving me a way out. How do you find it? I'm going to tell you three ways. There's others. I'm going to tell you three today. Speak to him. Speak to him. Speak to God. That's prayer. You speak to him. Just talk to him like I'm talking to you. Ask him what you need. God, this is a choice that I've got to make right now. I'm being tempted to do this. a choice i got to make. I'm making a choice. Speak to him. Next thing is, be a good idea to listen to him, right? <laughs> listen to him. How do we hear from God? There are occasions, there are sometimes I've met people, it's not happened to me. I've met people that have full confidence in They've heard the audible voice of God. But they all, every one of those people has always said, but that, that, that is not something that's happened often. Some maybe once in their life, maybe twice. Some never. And that's okay. Because God's given us a way that he speaks to us. And guess where that is? He speaks to us through his word. And let me tell you, they don't call it the word of God for nothing. The Word of God was divinely inspired and spoken as almost if you were thinking about the people that God chose to chronicle His words like they were taking dictation of what God is saying. That's what it is, folks. This is not man's idea. This is, this is God's Word. That means He spoke it. God's Word. That's how we listen to Him. Consume it. Put it in your spirit. Read it. Listen to it if you have to. Whatever it is, find any way you can to internalize and make it a part of your DNA, your, your mind, your body, your soul. Saturate yourself listening to God 
through the Word of God. Speak to Him. Listen to Him. And spend time in His house. How many are spending time in His house today? Amen? This is God's house. This is God's house, I said. This is God's house. This is His domicile. This is His residence. This is where He resides. Not the only place that it says it's not the bricks and mortar. That's not what I'm talking about. The walls and the building and the carpet and the air conditioner and the lights and all this. No, he's residing in the gathering of his people. Spend time in his house. Let me ask you this question. If you met a person, not just this is like a just an analogy of human life, and you met a person at work or somewhere, and it turned out that everything they told you was true. That everything that they said to you helped you in your life. You had a question, they had an answer, and it helped you. They, they were able to do things like speak to you, and you were suffering with some type of an illness or whatever it was, and all of a sudden you started feeling better. You were healed. What if you met a person like that, that everything that you did, no matter what it was, and you came to them with it, they had the answer. It was the right answer. They loved you. They had best intentions for you. You could always trust them. There was never any mixed motives. If you met a person like that and they invited you to your home, to their home, would you go? Hello? If a person like that invited you to their home, would you go? Yes. Let me ask you this. Would there ever be a time you wouldn't go? I'm just speak for myself. If I met a person like that and they invited me into their house, there would never be a time, not one single time, I didn't go. I'm not, I'm not saying that to tell anybody about church. It's not about church attendance. I'm just saying, speak to him. Listen to him. And spend time hanging out with him in his house. He's that person I'm telling you about. So you do that. That's three ways to find the way out. The promise of God is true. Here's another verse for you. You've heard it. James 4, 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. How many have heard that? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I've said this before. Flee is not a word where it's like, okay, get off. Get away from me. I'm resisting you in the name of Jesus. And I'm not saying that to be funny. That's how I talk to the devil. I do. You think I'm kidding? Why not? I have authority over him. And I take it in the name of Jesus. And let me tell you this, when it does, he's not okay, all right, then I'll see you later. Okay, yeah, all right, thank you for rebuking me. I'm, I'm going to walk over here now. Flee does not mean that. Flee means he hightails it out. He's running down the road. You can't see him. He's like the roadrunner with that little, that little poof of dust that goes by. He's running. He's fleeing. Go look it up. They don't, these words are by accident, people. They are intentional. Resist and he will flee. Now, the amplified version that you're looking up there says this too. Now, remember this. Uh oh. <laughs> so submit to the authority of who? Submit to the authority of? Submit to it. Some translations say humble yourself. Let me tell you something. When you submit yourself to the authority of God, you are humbling yourself. Submit to the authority of God. God do that. It's not for everybody. This promise isn't for everybody. This is for people that believe. It's for people who put their trust in Him. 
People whose full faith and trust is in Jesus Christ and his resurrection and that power. But for us, yes, sir, that's for me. So I'm going to submit to that authority and I'm going to resist you and I'm going to see you running. That's a way out. That's a way out. So the enemy might block your door. He might have a blocked door with a crowd of people where you can't get in. Tear off the roof and go in from the roof. Go to plan B, plan C. Take a detour around. Don't let that detour sign or that exit sign lead you astray or discourage you and say, well, there's a dead end, so I'm going to turn around and go the other way. No, find the detour of faith, and it will work for you. It will work for you. He who who sin struggles your way, you turn struggles your way. He'll sling fiery darts your way. He's going to do it. When he does, here's another thing. I don't have a slide for this. That's all about it. When he slings those fiery darts, here's what you can do. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things. I can do all things. Say that with me. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Not some things, not some of the time, not part of the time. I can do it all the time through him because his strength working through me is able to meet my needs. Yeah. Give God the glory. Hallelujah. He might try to block your door from blessings that God wants to do for you. And you might be in the biggest battle, either have been, will be, or now that you may have ever faced. But let me give you one more piece of scriptural power. Isaiah 54, 17 says this, No weapon that is formed against you will succeed. That's the amplified version. We all know it is no weapon formed against you will prosper. There are non-believers that know what that verse is. Oh, yeah, no weapon formed against you will prosper. We all know that. Do we know the rest of it? Listen to this. And every tongue that rises against you in judgment, you will condemn this Peace, righteousness, security, and triumph over opposition. Say that with me. Triumph over opposition is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. There's another translation that says it is the benefit to those who love the Lord their God. It's a benefit just like health insurance except better. It's a benefit. It is a heritage. It's a right, I believe. And this is their vindication from me, says the Lord. We don't need to go around scheming and figuring out how I'm going to get this guy back, settle old scores, figure out how to take revenge. We don't need to be consumed in all that. We need to be consumed in the idea that no weapon formed against me shall succeed. That's what we need to be consumed in. Because that's the truth, Rob. Comes to close. God wants you to be free in your life. He wants you to live in freedom. He wants you to be filled with joy in your life. He wants you to have a peace that passes all understanding that others can't understand, but it's just there because it's the peace of God. He wants you to do well in your life. He wants whatever 
So look, if the deed has blocked your door to the blessings of God, remember this, John, 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in than he that is in. Greater is he that is in me, and that he is the person of Jesus Christ represented with the Holy Spirit working in our lives here on earth. Greater is he who overcame the world. Greater is he who conquered death, hell, sin, the grave. Greater is he. And the Bible says that same power, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. Hallelujah. Greater is he, Jesus, God the Father, the Holy Spirit that is in me than the devil, Satan, the enemy who controls this world. Greater is he. That's another one for you. You want to know how to get out? Say, I'm an overcomer. Say, I'm an overcomer. You're looking for a way out? He gives you that. Some of you here are going to have these blocked doors. You're dealing with them right now. I've got one. You don't see any way to victory. So you can choose to give up. Maybe you are about to give up. Maybe you already have given up. Or maybe you're about to give up. I don't know. You don't see a way to victory through this. So you sort of just resign to defeat. And this song that we sang earlier today, do it again. In that song, the words are, you have moved mountains, and I believe I'll see you do it again. You did it once, you can do it again. It also says this, you made a way when there was no way, and I believe I'll see you do it again. You made a way when there was no way that I could see, but God, your power, you made a way. Stand with me. 